I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real scientists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me today, well, I'm going to do a solo show today. Valerie is off traveling around Europe, Sarah Bellum is swamped with a work project, and Randy, well, I couldn't coax him out of retirement. Not to worry, you've sent in a lot of questions, and I'm going to answer some of them today. On the show today, we're going to be answering questions about thinning hair and the research going on in that area, whether cupping is an effective facial treatment, which sunscreen ingredients block UVA, and why mandelic acid is used in some deodorants. Now, since this is a solo show today, I thought I'd take a little time to talk about the Beauty Brains and why we continue to do this. Now, we started the Beauty Brains mostly because it sounded like a fun project and there seemed to be an interest. Actually, when I was at parties and people would learn that I was a cosmetic chemist, uh, they'd have all kinds of questions, questions about the beauty products, what worked, what was fake, what's, what should they use. And it, it was really fun answering these questions. It was pretty rare that a consumer would get a chance to speak directly to the scientists who make the beauty products. And, you know, the, if you can explain science in sort of a, a, a fundamental, easy, understandable way, people find it very interesting. Now, back when Randy and I started the Beauty Brains, there really weren't a lot of ways for consumers to talk directly to scientists. Almost all the information you got was from beauty product marketers. This was in the form of direct advertising or through salon stylists who were trained by beauty marketers or through magazines whose editors were also informed by beauty product marketers. Everyone that was giving people information about beauty products seemed somehow to benefit from getting consumers to believe certain things about their product. And, you know, these things are often exaggerations and sometimes downright lies. And so we started the Beauty Brains, and, you know, it was fun. I, I really liked the beauty product industry. I liked the products, the challenges, the questions. And, you know, as a scientist, uh, it's a really great industry to get into, or at least it's a really great job to do. The thing about being a scientist, a lot of research scientists, they work in labs and they work on little tiny pieces of bigger projects. And a lot of the stuff that you do every day doesn't really have an impact uh, directly on consumers or on people's lives. It might help your company out or something like that. But being a residual chemist at an agricultural firm where you look at the analysis of samples, it's much less impactful than being a cosmetic chemist where you actually create products that people use every day. I, I tell you, it's so satisfying to go down and walk down an aisle of a store and see a beauty product and know that I created that formula. It's very, very cool. Now, the internet has changed a lot since we started doing the Beauty Brains. In the early days of doing this, we started back in about 2006, there weren't a lot of resources for consumers to get reliable beauty product information. Now, don't get me wrong, there were beauty bloggers back then, and most big brands had websites. But back then, there wasn't social media, there wasn't Pinterest or Instagram or, geez, even Facebook, I don't think, was generally available. 
And now, of course, there are lots of resources for information. Unfortunately, there is still a lot of nonsense that's published. It seems that, you know, anybody can publish anything about anything on uh, on the Internet. And that's a great thing, but it's also a troubling thing because now you as a consumer, you, you don't know what's real and what's fake. There's a lot out there that is misleading and leading you to maybe buy bad products or making bad purchasing decisions. The cosmetic marketers are out there in force to convince you that their next latest launch is the greatest product introduction of all time and it's going to change your life or that it's like safer for the environment or safer for you and that it's all new. And they've even employed social media celebrities to help get their message out there. The internet continues to be a great place to get real information, but it's also become a pretty effective marketing tool, too. It's really hard for consumers to know what's true, what's real, and that's why we continue to do the Beauty Brains and to bring you information. We keep doing the Beauty Brains because we don't want you to waste your time, waste your money on products that don't actually work. We also don't want you to be doing things that are dangerous or bad for your skin. Some of the things I see on YouTube or on discussion board is just downright scary. And there's some stuff I want to say is like, don't do that. That's terrible. Uh, but that's really why we continue to do the beauty brains, the show, the website. And I thank you for following along all these years. I thank you for all the questions and the comments and for all the great feedback. I enjoy doing the show. I enjoy doing this show with a partner, but if they're not available, I'm going to keep doing this show. And I'm going to keep doing the show for as long as I think it's helpful for people and and as long as it remains fun. <laughs> All right, on with the rest of the show. I'm going to try something a little different today. I read a lot of science news stories. And instead of doing a deep dive into a single story like we kind of do, I'll give you my thoughts on a bunch of different stories. Is dust making you fat? This is a story published in Happy Magazine. Happy is actually a trade industry magazine, the household and products, uh, personal care products industry, H-A-P-P-I. And uh, it's it's really great to find stuff that uh, that's written about the industry. Uh, it's not something that consumers usually see, but uh, they have some interesting stories. According to researchers at Duke University, they found evidence suggesting that household dust may promote the development of fat cells since this dust has been shown to contain endocrine-disrupting chemicals. They are now looking into whether there is a correlational link between household product use and obesity. So I guess if you don't keep your house as clean, you're going to be obese. <laughs> now, this is really preliminary evidence, and the story to me is a bit ridiculous. They didn't even find any correlation between dust and obesity. It's just they've developed this hypothesis, and now they're going to write a story about it. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, the bottom line is at this point is no, dust is not making you fat. But you can probably bet that uh, soon you'll start seeing household products with the, with the claim, you know, dusting uh, to to lose weight, I guess. <laughs> anyway, this is uh, how fear marketing works. You make people afraid of something, of some normal thing that right now they're not thinking about. Tell them that there's a problem with this. Uh, create a product that solves that problem and cash in. Well, good luck to them. <laughs> 
And now here's a story from Premium Beauty News about the three hottest trends in beauty in the UK. The three hottest trends, according to them, are the microbiome, clean beauty, and vegan beauty. You know, that these are growing trends is really a bit sad to me. First, cosmetics have been vegan for decades. You know, ever since the Mad Cow Scare in 1996, companies have pretty much gotten away from using any animal-derived ingredients. Now, they still use stuff like beeswax and lanolin, which, you know, those, those things don't have really easy replacements. But for most, you know, cow-derived ingredients or pig-derived ingredients, uh, companies just don't want to use animal ingredients. And really, mostly beauty products never used animal ingredients in the first place. A lot more things are based on plant ingredients and uh, pet petroleum-based ingredients, not, not on animals. All right, clean beauty. For consumers, I think it's a silly claim. The, the term clean can pretty much mean anything that a company wants it to mean. There's no legal definition of clean, and anybody can call anything clean. And the whole notion that a company is basing all of their selling on just products that are safe for you, well, that's just laughable to me. I mean, it's illegal for companies to sell unsafe beauty products. So all beauty products are safe for you. All legal products that you could buy at the store uh, should be safe for you. If, if it's not safe for you, it's illegal. So the term clean when it comes to beauty, it just means nothing. It's just some marketing term. It's, it's just a way for companies who really would want to call natural products, but they can't call natural because there aren't really a lot of natural ingredients. They want to use some synthetic ingredients to get benefits out of that. So it's a way to have sort of natural claims, but use synthetic ingredients. <laughs> the, the, the trend clean is just uh, crazy to me. And then finally, there's the microbiome. Now, I should say, this is a fascinating area of research that looks at the type of good and bad bacteria living on your body. I was a biology major. I find microbes really interesting, and the world under the microscope is just fascinating. And I've once heard the stat that your body is made up of about 100 trillion microbe cells uh, as opposed to only about 10 trillion uh, human cells. So you're 10 times more bacteria than human. Now, I don't know if that's exactly true. I've, I've heard conflicting stats about that. Maybe it's only three times as much. But the bottom line is there's a lot of bacteria on you. And so that makes the study of the bacteria living on your skin really interesting. But as far as beauty products go, it's way too soon to have the microbiome adapted to any products. I mean, we have almost no ideas what microbes should be there, right? We don't know what ingredients are good for the good microbes. We don't know which ones are good to get rid of the bad microbes or ingredients that are bad for the good microbes. We don't even know what's the right mix of microbes that should be there. It's so preliminary in this. We, we just don't know. And products that are designed to address the human microbiome, that's really just premature science marketing to me. Uh, it's, there's, we, we just don't know uh, an, enough to say that a product that designed in a specific way is good for your microbiome or bad for your microbiome because we don't know what should be going on your microbiome. Here's an article out of Premium Beauty News. Danish retailer bans fluorinated compounds in all cosmetics. 
A Danish retailer, Coop, in Denmark is banning all cosmetics and personal care products containing fluorinated substances. So they are no longer going to be able to sell toothpaste that contain fluoride. Now, fluoride has been added to toothpastes for decades because it has been proven to be effective for stopping cavities and the growth of plaque. It's also been proven to be safe. But fluoride is one of those chemicals that conspiracy theorists and fear mongers have targeted, and clearly, they have successfully scared a bunch of people. And now, this is really good news, I would say, for Danish dentists who are going to have a lot more work because there's going to be a lot more cavities, but I think this is a fail for product makers and for consumers because, you know what, natural uh, toothpastes, they just don't work as well to fight plaque. They, they just don't. Uh, pla uh, toothpastes work better when they have fluoride in them, and they're safe. I don't think uh, this is beneficial to the consumers at all. And finally, Eurekalert reports on research from Washington State University, which concludes that attractive businesswomen are viewed as less trustworthy femme fatales. <laughs> Lee Shepard, an assistant professor of management at WSU and the lead author, said, quotes, Highly attractive women can be perceived as dangerous, and that matters when we are assessing things like how much we trust them and whether we believe that w what they are saying is truthful. Now, they go on to describe the studies, which involve participants looking at pictures and rating the truthfulness of a person in the image. And they found some correlation between people rated as attractive and untrustworthiness. So, basically, if you want someone to believe and trust you, I guess they're saying don't wear makeup or don't try to look your best. This really seems like a stretch to me, but that's how these kinds of studies go, really, uh, these these are they're, they're interesting studies. They're psychology studies. Uh, they make interesting headlines, so they, they get into the media a lot. But whenever I read studies like this, I always remind myself of the fact that only 39% of studies in the field of psychology can even be replicated. So that means if somebody repeated this study, some independent person repeated the same study, you would get different results. So I don't put too much faith in the results or conclusions of, a, of most of these stories that I see. I mean, there's so much information out there that demonstrates that uh, looking good is uh, beneficial for career. And people who look good, who are attractive, do better financially, do better in careers, uh, they date more. So uh, to come out with a, a, a study like this that says they're uh, untrustworthy, I, I just uh, remain a bit skeptical. All right, on to the beauty questions. We'll start with a quick one. This question comes from Chastain. In your recent podcast, you mentioned that only two sunscreen ingredients are approved in the U.S. to block UVA rays. What are the names of the two that block UVA? Okay, that's easy enough. The two approved in the U.S. that block UVA are avobenzone, and zinc oxide. Now, titanium dioxide will block a small portion of UVA rays, but it doesn't go the whole uh, range of UVA, so it's not uh, broadly effective for UVA. And also, uh, octocrylene also can block a portion of the UVA rays. But for broad spectrum, 
and you know blocking all of the uva you need to use either avobenzone or zinc oxide now that's in the u.s of course um, in the eu there are like six more uva blockers than formulators can use here in the u.s uh, just look for broad spectrum uh, on the containers in the eu to find ones that block uva i should also mention there is also uh, l'oreal has some technology called mexoril uh, which can also block UVA, but they got it. They didn't get it in through the typical sunscreen monograph that you have to use here in the U.S. They had a new drug application, and so it's specifically they can only use it for a specific application. So the bottom line is avobenzone and zinc oxide are the two that you're looking for. All right, we have an audio question. This question comes to us from Blue. Hi, my name is Blue Plastic, and I have a question about a particular product by Drunk Elephant called the B-Hydra Intensive Hydration Serum. As far as I can tell, it doesn't have any oils in it or occlusive agents. And I've seen people say and write on the internet that that means that when you put that particular product on or something similar to that, anything with just hyaluronic acid and no oils in it, that it will just evaporate off your skin right away unless you hurry up and put some kind of oil or moisturizer on your face and that you're not going to get any hydration from a product like this. And so I'm wondering, is that true? Does it just evaporate off your skin and you don't get any hydration? Because I've always liked that product and felt like it did help hydrate my skin. But then I feel like, well, I have to hurry up and put something else on it. I would be really curious to know if hyaluronic acid-based products without any oils in them just evaporate off your face. Thanks. Thanks for the question, Blue. First of all, uh, B Hydra is $52. Woo! That is up there, I have to say. But let's take a look at the ingredients that you asked about. Now, the product does have water, uh, of course, uh, but the next uh, ingredient in line is coconut alkanes. These are really just emollients, and technically you could consider these oils. Then there is uh, sclerocaria, Barrera seed oil. I, I really should practice saying some of these long, some of these words, but ah, you get the idea. It's some natural seed oil. So uh, I'm a little confused at why you said there's no oils in it because there are some oils in the formula. But you are right. There isn't anything here that's going to qualify as an occlusive agent per se. I mean, they have a bunch of fruit extracts, uh, which really aren't doing much of anything except making a good marketing story. Uh, but they do have a lot of humectants. There's pentylene glycol, glycerin, sodium PCA, panthenol. You know, maybe panthenol helps a little bit humectants. And then, of course, there's sodium hyaluronate. So you're worried that this is just going to evaporate off. Well, fortunately, that's not true. Now, while the formula does have water and cyclomethicone, which will evaporate off rather quickly, ingredients like glycerin, hyaluronic acid, these are not things that evaporate off your skin anytime soon. They actually will stay on the surface of the skin, and they're going to absorb water from the atmosphere or maybe from the lower layers of your skin. But, you know, they, they stay there. They keep providing moisturization benefits. 
they're not going to evaporate off. That's just not how they work. And you're not going to have to put oils on top of your product to make sure that the product doesn't evaporate off. Also, the formula has film-forming polymers like ammonium acryl oil dimethyl torate VP copolymer and sodium hyaluronate cross-polymer, which will make it stay on your skin even more. These are what we call film formers, so they create a film on top of your skin and then they hold the ingredients there. This helps to prevent rub-off and it just makes the uh, formula stay better. So the bottom line is... Uh, no, you're, you you don't have to put oils on top of this perfectly fine product. Now, I'm not sure you're getting a great deal spending $52 for 50 mils of a product. Jeez. Uh, I mean, you can get some less expensive options that are probably going to work just as well. But I'm sure this Drunk Elephant product is a, it's a perfectly fine product. Uh, Drunk Elephant makes good products. I... I don't like their fear-mongering that they do. They have their clean beauty with their Sinister Six that you have to avoid. But, you know, they, they make good products. So if you like the product, feel free to use it and don't worry about putting anything on top. All right, our next question comes to us from Erin, who actually has a PhD in plant biology. She says, as a biologist and chemist, who's not as young as I used to be, I found your podcast really interesting when it comes to anti-aging cosmetics and their claims. Recently, you did a podcast where you talked about thinning hair. I'm very familiar with common knowledge that all products claiming to increase hair growth are bogus, with the exception of Rogaine, which is also questionable. Because of my own personal experience, I am wondering if this is really just a problem of the research that it's all just not well designed to test for ingredients that have encouraging uh, increased hair growth opportunities. And then she goes on to explain how thinning hair is common in her family and how she tried a product from Monat, which works really well initially, then it didn't work as well after using for a while, and then it seemed to be working again. And so she wants to know, do you know of anyone doing really good testing on promoting hair growth? I think it's a shame if this area is not being adequately, adequately researched. Well, there's a lot to unpack here. First, you're right that Rogaine is the only proven thing, or topical thing, for hair growth. And that doesn't work for everyone. I've seen stats where it worked for 25% of people or 33% of people. I think the most I've ever seen is, you know, two-thirds of people, so 66% of people. But the bottom line is, for some people, it does nothing. Next, on the subject of your experience, as a scientist, I'm sure you're aware of anecdotal evidence and how unreliable it is. It's really easy to fool ourselves, especially when we want something to work. You know, the scientists and researchers out there in the cosmetic industry, we want to make discoveries. Making discoveries is great. We want to make products that really work and that people want to use. Not only is it satisfying intellectually, but it's also monetarily pretty good. If you can make a product that grows hair, well, you can make a lot of money. So there is a lot of research going on uh, with hair thinning and preventing it and making hair grow back. It's just not something that is really easy to discover. It's, we just haven't found a lot of things that, that worked. And the things that we have found are really just by accident. Uh, the latest thing was uh, that eye, eyelash growth product, Latisse. 
Now, that wasn't discovered by someone looking for something to make your eyelashes grow. That was discovered because it was a glaucoma medicine, and the people that were on this medicine for treating glaucoma uh, found that their eyelashes seemed to be getting bigger, and that led to the development. But it was a completely an accident. And the other thing is that a product uh, that would improve hair growth or make hair grow, that would be a drug, not a cosmetic. So the people studying it are pharmaceutical companies. Those are the ones spending the money to research this. There's a lot of research going on in finding solutions to hair loss. Now, as you can imagine, this would be a huge market if someone actually could find something that actually worked. And I can tell you, the, the solution is not going to come from a multi-level marketing company uh, like the one you mentioned. It's probably not even going to come from Procter & Gamble or L'Oreal or one of those companies who focus on making consumer products. Uh, this is not a small problem. This is a huge problem. And uh, some lone inventor or somebody using ancient uh, remedies, uh, they're not going to create a product that makes your hair grow. It, it's just not going to happen. Now, a company like J&J, &J, which is a consumer products but a, a company, but it's also a pharmaceutical company, they might likely come out with something. So if I saw something from J&J &J that said it grows hair, I would uh, I would have more faith that it really works than anything from uh, you know smaller companies or different companies. But you know the reality is most beauty companies are not set up to develop drug products, research drug products, and uh, I wouldn't anticipate them finding it. Unfortunately, these pharmaceutical companies don't tend to publish their research. Uh, they don't really have any benefit to publishing, right? Um, and they're certainly not going to publish results of uh, research that they did where they found no benefit. Uh, there's, we, scientists just don't publish negative results uh, that commonly. So it's hard to know what's been studied or even how much is going on, but you can rest assured there is a lot of money going into researching uh, hair growth products. There's just not a lot of progress. The only thing we can know about this area really is it's a huge opportunity and pharmaceutical companies are going to be the ones that will have to make these products since they're drugs. And it's most likely that they haven't found anything that really works. Although I should say, I feel your pain. I've just hit 18,256 days of living, and I'm getting a little thinning on the top, too. I wish I had better news for uh, you, but hair growth products, you know, they mostly don't work. And when evaluating whether something works, it's really important not to fool yourself. As the famous physicist Richard Feynman said, the first principle of science is that you must not fool yourself, and you are the easiest person to fool. Just remember that whenever you're evaluating hair growth products or really any beauty product, uh, it's easy to fool yourself, and most things are not going to work for certainly for the hardest problems, the problem of hair growth, of gray hair, of anti-cellulite, uh, of anti-wrinkle. Uh, the, the reality is beauty products can only do so much and they can only uh, make you look better. Uh, they can't really uh, solve biological problems. Our next question comes from Olga. Olga says, I recently saw a lot of videos on YouTube on face cupping. Is it proving a rejuvenating facial massage? 
is it safe to do at home? <laughs> Thanks for the question. I, I watched a few of these facial cupping videos, and I have to say, I'm less than impressed. The procedure didn't seem to be doing much of anything at all, if you ask me. However, of course, watching YouTube videos is really not a scientific examination, so I did a little more searching. Facial cupping was no doubt inspired by the general practice of so-called cupping therapy. Now, that's a popular treatment for alternative medicine, you know, people who find alternative medicine compelling. I'll say up front, there is little evidence that cupping therapy has any real benefits. In a review of scientific studies on cupping therapy published in the Journal of Acupuncture and Meridian Studies, that's a real journal, the authors concluded that, quote, this overview of systematic reviews suggests that cupping may be effective for reducing pain. The evidence is insufficient for other indications. Therefore, considerable, considerable uncertainty remains about the therapeutic value of cupping. Uh, the, the bottom line is even in a journal where uh, they are more inclined to believe even the slightest bit of evidence, they could find no evidence that cupping did anything besides maybe uh, impacting pain. Now, it was this was a treatment that was developed before science and subsequent investigation has really shown no skin benefits now there are plenty of people who might disagree with this but you know i'm persuaded by evidence and i hope you are too i'm not persuaded by stories of people who paid money to get a procedure done of course you paid money you're going to feel like something happened you don't want to feel like you wasted money and I'm not going to believe the stories from the doctors who give these services because, of course, they're going to say that you get something. But back to facial cupping, there is no evidence that facial cupping will rejuvenate your skin, and it certainly won't have any long-lasting effects either. Any kind of the fluid movement that you might get while you're sucking on the skin of your face is going to just drain back to where it started rather quickly. Now, as far as safety goes, you asked about that. Uh, I would say it's it's mostly safe to do at home. The biggest downside is that you can suck on your skin too hard and maybe cause some bruising. Now, I don't think a bruised face is what people are really going for with this, but uh, that could happen. The bottom line is that facial cupping has no proven benefits, and if you do it too hard, you can bruise your, your face. So it's pseudoscience, not proven, and I don't recommend it. I'm going to link a review to research studies in the show notes if you're curious to read further. Finally, we have Andrea. She asked, why is mandelic acid the first ingredient in Loom deodorant? Now, I hadn't heard of the brand Loom before, so I took a look online to see what it was all about. According to their website, the Loom brand was started by a gynecologist who saw a problem of vaginal order, then she whipped up a solution in her kitchen. <laughs> Always makes me nervous when I read about founders whipping stuff up in their kitchen. <laughs> her initial testing was uh, done by giving a sample to her sister, who absolutely loved it. A couple of clinical tests and then a couple of patents later, she dis discovered it also worked on underarm odor, and then yada, 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 the, the Loom deodorant brand was born. Loom is touted as a natural deodorant, but this claim seems pretty dicey to me. I mean, it's true that mandelic acid was originally discovered as a 
component of almonds, so there's a natural source for it. But the stuff used in the production of products is made through synthetic chemical reactions. Uh, it's not gotten from nature. You know, but that's true of pretty much all natural cosmetic ingredients. Uh, there's very few ingredients come directly from nature. They all get processed some way. And another interesting thing is if you look at the ingredient list on this product, uh, that um, the, the other ingredients in there are synthetic ingredients. So I don't know how they can call it a natural deodorant, except that it's different than your standard deodorants. I tried to find an ingredient list from the bottle, but all I found was what they had on their website, and then I saw a picture of an ingredient list on one bottle. Indeed, the second ingredient is uh, mandelic acid. So first, it's helpful to know what mandelic acid is. It's an alpha-hydroxy acid, like glycolic acid, but just a bit bigger as far as molecules go. As far as acid strength goes, it on a volume-by-volume basis, it's a stronger acid than glycolic acid, and it's been used for years in medicine as a urinary antiseptic because it's thought to be an antibacterial. The, the maker of mandelic acid is saying that it's being studied as a potential anti-aging ingredient, so maybe look for mandelic acid to be featured in anti-aging products in the future. But it's the antibacterial effect that is most likely why mandelic acid is used in this particular product. The underarm odor is caused by bacteria that feasts off the sweat that you produce. That's why your underarms smell. So putting an antibacterial ingredient there, it's going to kill off of the bacteria, and then that theoretically will reduce odor, since there's no bacteria there to create the odor. This is just basically how deodorants work. In traditional deodorants, the main antibacterial ingredient is triclosan, and that's the one that's used if you look at uh, most uh, deodorants that are out there on the market. Triclosan is also an antibacterial, and it it was one that's it's been approved by the FDA, although they're, they're re-looking at the safety of it or the effectiveness of it, and so triclosan might be going away from products. But right now, you can still find deodorants with triclosan in it. Now, the other thing that deodorants do is that they have a fragrance, and the fragrance is supposed to offset your natural odor. If you wash your armpits and then put this product on, theoretically, that will kill off all the bacteria, and the bacteria won't have time to cause any odor so you can have an unscented version and loom does have an unscented version but they also have a scented version and i'm guessing the scented version sells better the problem with an unscented deodorant is that you kill off all the bacteria and okay they can't produce but they do come back you you can kill them off but you're not going to completely kill off all the bacteria and so if you don't have a fragrance to to mask the odor uh, of your natural body, well, that can be a problem. I'll point out that they also make some fear-mongering claims that kind of I find disappointing in a brand. They say that they are free from aluminum, silicone, phthalates, sulfates, parabens, gluten, corn, soy, talc, coconut oil, and baking soda. That's a lot of things to be free from. <laughs> but if you look at those, that list, that list is a little bit confusing for me. First of all, the reality is deodorants don't use aluminum. So aluminum is uh, aluminum salts are found in antiperspirants, and it's those aluminum salts that will stop you from sweating. But 
deodorants don't stop sweating. So if it's if a product is a deodorant, it's not going to have aluminum in there. I don't know why they would say aluminum free, uh, because deodorants already are aluminum free, and also deodorants also don't contain phthalates they don't contain sulfates parabens gluten corn soy and coconut oil so just a regular deodorant doesn't use these things so for them to claim that they're free from these things it's really just chemical fear mongering and, and pandering it's <laughs> I, I i find it objectionable they do say that they're free from talc and you know some deodorants do contain talc some people like that uh, but it's not really a popular ingredient in most deodorants. Silicones are certainly uh, found in uh, deodorants because they do help the stick to slide better. Uh, they're a perfectly fine ingredient, but you could find substitutes for it. So if you don't like silicones, that's good. And then they say they avoid baking soda. Well, I don't think baking soda is something you should be putting under your arm anyway. I know Arm & Hammer has a baking soda uh, deodorant. It's fine, but... Baking soda is not a good ingredient to have on your body. So there you have it. Loom uses the mandelic acid as its antibacterial com component, and that's really why it's in there. Of course, at $14 a stick, <laughs> it's certainly not going to be a better value than the speed stick that I like to use. But look, if you like Loom, if you like the brand store and you want them to do it, you know, I'm, I'm sure it, it might work. It, it might work for you. I, I, I don't uh so go ahead and try it i i'm and and let me know how it works all right it looks like that brings us to the end of another show of the beauty reigns i hope you enjoyed the solo show next week i'm sure i'll have uh, uh another beauty brain join me but if not maybe another solo show but if you want a, your question answered on the Beauty Brains, be, be sure to send us an email. Uh, I have a link, or click the link in the show notes. You can uh, post your question there. Or even better, record an audio version on your phone and then just email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. We love to get the audio questions because uh, then you don't have to listen to uh, my voice just <laughs> drone on for hours. All right, don't forget to follow us on our uh, social media pages. We have a Facebook page. We have Twitter. We're at The Beauty Brains. And we also have Instagram, The Beauty Brains 2018. We also have Patreon. So if you want to support the show and keep the show ad-free, feel free to go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and uh, subscribe and, and donate what you can. And... Uh, I'm working on developing uh, some extra content for our Beauty Brains patrons. We do have uh, almost 30 patrons, and I appreciate all that you do and that you stick around. And uh, thank you so much. I still enjoy doing the Beauty Brains, and there's still a need for good information out there from a scientist standpoint and uh, not a marketer standpoint. All right, thanks again for all your years of listening and all your all the new listeners that we have. And until next time, go make a difference. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Yeah.